last week of this uh, four-week series called Worthy. And we've been talking about worship. We've been talking about um, all kinds of things. The first week, we talked about why is he worthy? Because before we do any what, we need to understand the why, right? Why are we worshiping? Because if we just come in church every week and, and just sing some songs and listen and, and then leave, you know, sometimes it's easy to miss the why. And then the second week, we talked about understanding the presence of God and what, what it's like. Uh, last week, we talked about understanding what pleases God. And so if you've missed any of those messages, I just want to encourage you to, to, to catch up online on the, on the app or the website or our YouTube channel, um, and, and you can listen to those messages there. But today, uh, I'm, I'm always pumped about my messages, but uh, because, you know, you got you to gotta be passionate if you're going to communicate, but I'm always excited. But man, this week, I'm really excited because I think that this message speaks to so many people right where they're at. And we're talking, and the title of the message today is called Off key worship. Now, how many of you can't hold a tone or can't hold pitch, right? And so we're just uh, honest and vulnerable here today. And like I said in the first week, you're really glad that the music's loud because then nobody can hear you. And, um, and that's okay. But sometimes we think, man, because I can't do this, this, and this, you know, I can't worship. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I remember back in 2000 and uh, I want to say four, um, me and Jolie were engaged. We got engaged in Bulgaria. Um, she was living in India. I was living in Bulgaria. Yes, it's an international romance. And so she comes to Bulgaria. We get engaged. And then a few months later, I go to uh, Bombay. It's now called Mumbai, India, to visit her. And so we're, um, we go to church that Sunday that I'm there. And we walk in. And man, there's passion in the room. And so the worship service starts and the music is so loud, it literally is piercing your eardrums. And I love my Indian brothers and sisters with, uh, you know, dearly. But in this particular church, uh, no one was on pitch and no one uh, was very talented with the instruments. And, and so at first it's like, whoa, what is going on here, right? And it just kind of makes your head tilt, especially if you're a musician. Some of you that aren't musicians, musicians, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you are and you hear something a little off key, it's kind of this involuntary reaction. You kind of twitch a little bit and your, your head kind of goes to the side and it's like, ouch, that kind of hurts a little bit. Well, in this particular Indian church, um, it, the, the music was just all, all over the place off key, but... A few minutes later, you know, we're going after it. They're worshiping and I'm standing there and I'm doing my best. I'm a pastor's kid and, and so I, I, know how to, I know how to do the motions, right? And so I'm standing there and, and this worship service is continuing and it's not getting any better as far as the pitch and the music is concerned. But after a few minutes, I just settle in and, and I experienced the presence of God in a powerful way there in the midst of something that was seemingly so off-key and dissonant. And I just wanna encourage you guys, you know, man, we're so blessed to have an amazing worship team and, and they do amazing every week and they love Jesus and it's awesome and we've got some state-of-the-art equipment and man, we've got it great. But worshiping Jesus and experiencing his presence doesn't, is not contingent on how quality the music is. Let me just tell you, because in that moment, in that day, when the music was less than desirable, Jesus was still inhabiting the praises of his people, right? Romans 12, 1, it's our theme verse for the series. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God 
because of all he's done for you. Notice it doesn't say give your music or give um, your, your talents. It says give your bodies, which is just kind of a symbol for all of you, everything you got. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. And last week we really unpacked that. You know, what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? The kind he will find acceptable. This is the, truly the way to worship him. Love that. And so that's our theme verse. We've been unpacking that. But there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than feeling like you've got nothing to offer. Have you ever been there? It's like you walk into a room and maybe there's a lot of talented people and you're just like, I don't know why I'm here. Why in the world am I here? It's like if I walked into a scrapbooking party. I got nothing. I've got nothing to offer. Um, or, you know, back in the day, it was, what was it called? The Creative Memories Party. And, and you know, I, I'm, I've got nothing. My scrapbook is, is like stick some glue on it and slap it on the paper and we're done, right? Or it, it's like if, if Betty White, bless her heart, walked out in the NBA basketball court, she's got nothing to offer there in that arena. Or have you ever watched that dumb Geico commercial with the gecko and, and you're like, what is he gonna do for my insurance? It just doesn't make sense. And so, but we all have felt that way at a certain time in life when we walk into a certain situation or into a certain group of people or, or uh, and, and you're like, I just don't know if I have what it takes. What could lead, what could lead us to feel that way? Maybe for one, it, it could be a perceived lack of talent. You just feel like I, I just don't have the goods. Maybe you feel like I don't have the right, right skills. Maybe you literally think, and I've heard people say this before, I don't have any skills. Man, that's a heavy place to be, to feel like I literally don't have anything to offer anybody ever. I've, and man, I've heard people say it. They literally don't think that they have anything worthwhile. Or, you know, maybe you think I can't sing and so I can't worship. Maybe you, you think, oh man, I have this disability, you know, something's happened to me physically, and so I just can't, I, I don't have anything to offer anymore. Or maybe you think I've got this sickness, and so because I'm always struggling with this sickness, you know, I can't offer anything. I'm just on the sideline. Or maybe a failure, maybe things are going great, and maybe your relationship with your spouse fell apart, or your family dynamics fell apart, or you got fired for your, your job. Something that made you feel like a just total and complete failure. Maybe you tried something and felt awkward and you're like, never again. Maybe you tried and felt misunderstood and, and maybe you tried and felt underused or underutilized. Maybe you tried and you just straight up failed, like that you weren't any good at that. A lot of things could make you feel, feel like a failure. Maybe you tried, but nobody noticed and you got your feelings hurt. And so there's a lot of reasons why we may at times feel like we don't really have anything to offer God, that our living sacrifice isn't very good. But here's where that line of thinking breaks down. When you compare and compete, you live in defeat. And so Jesus doesn't want you to live defeated. And so I just wanna encourage you today, just right from the get-go, man, if you're gonna live a life of comparison, comparing yourself to everybody else when you come to Jesus, it's gonna make out for a pretty unhealthy relationship with God. Worship is more than your talents. It's more than music. It's more than the other out front things like speaking or leading. If worship were just music, then, then you know, all the, those who are non-musical could never worship, right? 
And so I just want to encourage you today to not reduce the worship of an almighty, infinite creator God to your abilities, preferences, comfort level, or feelings. Don't do it. Because it doesn't matter if it's off key or if it's a little different, if your, your, your skill set, your talents are a little bit different than the next person's, you can still be a living sacrifice. Regardless of how unworthy you think you are, Jesus still wants you at his table. He still wants you at his table. And so to, to illustrate this today, we're gonna check out the story of Mephibosheth. It's, it's even hard to say. Everybody say Mephibosheth. Let's just give it a try. Right? You're like the, the Liberty Mutual, Liberty Liberty. It's like Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And so um, grab your notes today. If you want to open your Mosaic app, the notes are there too. But let's dig in. Just to set the table, uh, Saul was uh, a king of Israel. His son, Jonathan, um, was his son, the prince. And then there was David, King David. And if and maybe you've heard the story of David and Goliath before, where David uh, killed Goliath with just a few stones and a sling. And so after that, David's popularity grew. King Saul became jealous. He tried to kill David. And this went on for years and years and years. And so finally, years later, Saul and Jonathan both died in battle. And since there was this big tension, everybody loved David more than Saul. They wanted David to be king. All of a sudden, there's a leadership vacuum in Israel. Now, David and Jonathan had become best friends. And long ago, Jonathan had promised David that he would always have his back and that he would be there for them. And he would stay faithful to David as his friend, even if it meant going against his father, Saul. And so if you want to read the whole story, just jump in first uh, Samuel and, and you can read all about it. But in second Samuel chapter four, verses verse four, it's in parentheses. It's not even like the, the main point of the passage, right? It's just this little parenthetical. And has your life, you feel like you've just been on a, a side item. And maybe you're a pretty good side item. I, I, had a, I had a side item last week that just blew my mind. It was like some cheesy grits. And I was like, this, is, this side item could be like the main course. These are amazing. But sometimes we just feel like a side item. And so here in this little parenthetical statement, it says that Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. Now, props to the nurse picking up a five-year-old and running. When my kids were five, I might have been able to pick him up, but I don't know if I'm running. So this lady is strong. But, uh, you know, as you can imagine, a five-year-old would be pretty awkward to run and carry at the same time. And so she drops him. His feet are crippled. This is not the day of modern science or, or medical things. And so uh, a broken bone back then very well could mean that for the rest of your life, you're not walking. And so that was the story of Mephibosheth. And so after Saul and Jonathan died, David, you know, he, he gets the big promotion. He becomes the king of Israel. He's God's anointed. The Bible said he had, he had a, you know, he was a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? No. But in 2 Samuel 9, 1, fast forward a few chapters. One day, it says David asked, 
Is anyone from Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? How cool is that? That even though his best friend is long gone, he's looking, man, how can I honor my friend? How can I honor my friend that stood up for me in a time that was so crucial? And so in verse three and four, it says, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. He's crippled in both feet. And so immediately, David asks, where is he? Where is he? Right? Now, in the Bible, when, you know, the first time somebody said, where are you? It was in the garden. And Adam had sinned and Eve had sinned. And God comes walking in the garden. He's like, Adam, where are you? And that was not a good moment for Adam, right? And Mephibosheth probably had some of the same kind of feelings. He was probably terrified that the king had called him. He's like, oh, my number's come up. He's coming for me because I'm a part of the old regime. I'm a part of the old uh, master's house. And so he's probably a little scared, but they call for Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth comes before uh, King David and he bows low. And in verse seven and eight, David says, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now, just think, Saul tried to kill David And now David is giving all of Saul's land back to his grandson, right? And then in verse 13, it just kind of puts a bow on it and says, and Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Listen, Mephibosheth's place at the table. Remember I said, Jesus wants you at his table. Mephibosheth's place at the table didn't have anything to do with his talents or what he had to offer or his goodness. In fact, we don't know anything about him except for the small parenthetical statement. It had everything to do with what the father had done, Jonathan, and who he was. It had everything to do with Jonathan's relationship to David. Why? Mephibosheth was welcome at the king's table. In the same way, you and I, we're not able to enter into the presence of an almighty God based on any ability or goodness that you or I have. And yet, we consistently come to God, whether we're an unbeliever, a new believer, or a mature believer, we consistently come to God and feel like we're not good enough. And the the reality of it all, it really doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't have anything to do with it. Here is Mephibosheth, nothing to offer, and he just comes to the king's presence in Bowsalo, right? Have you ever had an attitude that, man, I'm just happy to be here, right? I can only imagine that's how he felt in the presence of the king. But... David's acceptance of Mephibosheth had everything to do with his father, Jonathan. And in the same way, you and I, your place in the presence of God has everything to do with what Jesus has done and who he is. D. 
Do you see the connection that we're making this morning? And so, what does off-key worship look like? What does it look like? Number one, because of what Jesus has done, I have a seat at the table. Because of what Jesus has done, I get to come in, right into God's presence. I get to be with him. Isn't that an amazing thought? I get to be here. What did, what did David say? He said, don't be, don't be afraid. I'm gonna show you kindness because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Guess what? Jesus looks at you and says, man, I'm gonna show you kindness. Why? Because of what my son did for you on the cross, right? Romans 5, one through two illustrates this. It says, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, and remember last week, it's impossible to please God without faith. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. I love that. Because of what he's done, we get to come and we get to stand in this place of undeserved privilege meaning none of us deserve to be here. None of us. My pastor is with us today, my best friend. Spent the last 12 years before I moved here in Sandwich, Illinois with him, and he came to visit us this weekend and hang out so our daughters could play. Love it. But my friend Wes, he grew up in sunny California. Wouldn't that be cool? Sunny California. His dad wasn't a churchgoer when he was growing up, and, and, and Wes wasn't a church kid, right? He raced bikes, like BMX, and he was really, really good. State champion of California, multiple times, I think. So he had this, this incredible talent. And one point when he was a teenager, a friend invited him to youth group. Wes gave his heart to Christ. He felt a call to ministry. But guess what? BMX biking is not on the volunteer list at church. Have you ever been there? You look at the options and what you could do for God, and you're like, I don't see me on the list. I don't feel any connection. Talk about off-key worship. It's like, what am I supposed to do? I don't fit in the normal mold. And I remember Wes saying, I can't sing. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't know what to do. And so guess what his youth pastor did? He gave him a trash bag. He asked him to stack chairs. And so for year after year, Wes continued to just be faithful. And fast forward 30 years, and thank God Wes is still glorifying God through whatever has been put in his hands. And I'm so glad he did. Because, because he didn't fall for the lie that he didn't have anything to offer. He didn't fall for that lie. He, his yes to whatever Jesus put in his hands, even if he didn't think he had the tool set or, or whatever, his yes has affected so many people, right? And so it starts with you saying, hey, God, whatever you put in my hand, it might not look like so-and-so, or I might not, might not be as talented, whatever that means, as, as so-and-so, but God, I'm just gonna say yes. Don't let your perceived lack of talent in certain areas of life keep you from living a life of worship to an almighty God. And you just got to picture this, this, this young man, Mephibosheth, can't even walk in an, in an era where there was no provision for disabilities. There was no provision for somebody that was, that was lame. They were, they were sh kind of shunned. They were put aside. A lot of times, especially in a royal family like his, they just kind of hid them. And here he is in the king's 
room, eating with him. It didn't have anything to do with what he could. He was just invited. He was invited to the king's table. Number two, because of what Jesus has done, I have a new identity. I have a new identity. What did, what did uh, Mephibosheth say when David told him, hey, you're getting all this land back? He said, who is your servant that you should show such a kindness to a dead dog like me? Man, do you ever have self-defeating thoughts like that? You just talk to yourself in just horrible ways like that? I just wanna encourage you with all the love in my heart as your pastor today, and, and I just wanna tell you to stop. Don't talk about yourself like that. I love what David did. He seemingly just ignores the comment. He doesn't even address it. He doesn't even give it like credence. He just like acts like Mephibosheth never said that. And he got immediately to work, David did, giving back all that had belonged to Mephibosheth's family. I love that. Listen, when you, when you talk down to yourself, when you call yourself things like dead dog and, and you don't think you have anything to offer, you know, you know what God does? He ignores it and he just continues to speak life into you, right? I love what John Maxwell says. He says, it's impossible to consistently behave in a manner inconsistent with how we see ourselves. It's impossible to consistently behave in a manner inconsistent with how we see ourselves. And this isn't self-help talk. This isn't just some you know, pithy little statement. No, in 1 John 3, 1, um, it says, see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. Amen? And so the next time you're tempted to say, oh, I'm just a dead dog, I don't have anything to offer, no. Jesus looks at you square in the eyes, he, he grabs your shoulders, maybe even shakes you a little bit, and He's like, no, this is what you are, you are my child. And maybe for good measure, he, he just slaps you a little bit and says, stop talking like that, right? My kids don't talk like that, right? What all does the Bible say about you and me? He says you're more than a conqueror. He says you're a masterpiece. He says you're called, you're set apart, you're equipped, you're an ambassador of Christ, you're friends of Jesus, you're a child of God, you're forgiven, you're a free man, you're a free woman, you're accepted, you're a new creation, you're blessed, you're a citizen of heaven and you are loved when you come into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? Listen, it's really hard to live a pure life when you don't see yourself as forgiven. You were bought with a price and it's hard to live for Jesus and to do the right thing when you don't even see yourself as forgiven. Remember, it's impossible to consistently behave in a way that you don't see yourself. It's really hard to live a victorious life, to live like a winner, when you think you're a loser, right? It's really hard to live out your calling when you don't think that God even notices you. And for those of you that are searching today that you don't even know if God is real, man, he sees you, he loves you, he has a plan for you, but you gotta believe it. You gotta believe it. It's really hard to act like a citizen of heaven when you're obsessed with your earthly possessions. It's impossible to consistently behave in a manner that's inconsistent with how you see yourself. So this really matters. On the flip side, 
It's harder to keep sinning. It's literally hard to keep sinning when you see the worth that Jesus has placed on you by dying for you on the cross. It's hard to not win. It's hard to not act in a victorious way when you know that you're on a winning team, right? It's hard to not live out your calling when you know that God has ordered your steps and when you believe it with all your heart. It's hard to live as a citizen of earth when you know that Jesus is preparing a place for you in glory, amen? Amen. So how you see yourself and the identity with which you, you, you think about yourself, it really, really matters. So the question is, will you accept your God-given identity as a child of God? Are you gonna accept it? And number three, what does off-key worship look like? Listen, because of what Jesus has done, I have a new purpose. I have a new purpose. And this isn't just vague. It's like, oh, I found my purpose in life. No, no one really knows what that means. No, this isn't just a feel-good statement. You know, we unpacked this in detail last week when we talked about the great commandment and the great commission. But let's take it a little step further. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says that all of you are the one body of Christ and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So you have a purpose. You've got a purpose. Um, we had 301 just uh, a couple weeks ago, and one of my buddies said, man, Joe, you know, this, this one thing you said in 301 really stuck out to me, and it really just came alive in my heart and in my, in my life. And in, in that class, we talk about how when I don't fulfill the ministry that God has given me, you get cheated. And when you don't fulfill the ministry that God has given you, when you don't live out your purpose, guess what? I get cheated. And other people around you, the people that rub shoulders with you in life, get cheated. Why? Because God has given you a purpose. You're a part of the body of Christ. You matter. And so you got to live out your purpose so you can be a blessing. i got to live out my purpose so that I can bless you and, and be God's hands and feet extended to you and vice versa. It goes both ways all day long. You've got things to do. You've got people to see and a difference to make. Some of you just need to hear this today because, because for too long you've been sitting on the sidelines and just kind of just ah, in the mully grubs. I don't have anything to offer, right? In Mark 10, 42 through 45, and Jesus made a lot of statements like this that just kind of turned the whole world upside down, right? But in this instance, the, the disciples had been arguing about who's gonna be the greatest and who's gonna to get to sit at Jesus' right hand and, and just, just being just total knuckleheads, right? They, they were not so smart sometimes uh, as, as, as we get to see from an objective outside perspective. If we were there, we, we very well probably would have been acting the same way, right? But Jesus calls them together and says, you know, the rulers in this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. And when Jesus says something like that, you're like, your ears perk up. You're like, oh, I'm going to get a piece of my purpose here. I'm going to get a piece of God's plan for my life. And so he's like, among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Love that. So what's Jesus saying for you in your life? Your purpose after you meet him has got to be different than your purpose before you met him. And so 
if there's no difference, there's probably a problem. Because Jesus looks at you and he says, among you, it's gonna be different. It's gonna be different. New identity, new purpose. You got a seat at the table. You're in a new house. You're in a new, you know, you're, the Bible says you're a new creation. It's gonna be different. You've got a purpose. Church, we get so bound up in our wants and our preferences and our desires. So much of the time we forsake what is eternal for what's comfortable. But Jesus says, I got a purpose for you that's bigger than that. What if we were completely surrendered to, to, to Jesus's purpose for our life? You know, one of the saddest things about Mephibosheth, he got invited into the king's you know, dining room, got to eat there every day, got to spend time in the king's presence. But later on in the story, you know, things didn't all work out good, that good for him. Why? I believe because he never really found his purpose there. It's like he was glad to be in the room, he was glad to be a part, he was glad to get all his stuff back, but somewhere along the way, he, he never really found his niche, his purpose. And so all three of these are incredibly important. I got a seed, man. I've got a place at the table. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. Hey, I've got a new identity. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to latch onto all those promises for my life, but then you can't leave out. I got to find my purpose. And it has to do with serving people and giving back to people and, and saying, hey, my life isn't going to be about the things my life used to be about. I'm going to be about eternal kingdom things. I'm going to be serving Jesus with every moment of every single day. It's not just a little bit. I'm not just tipping God with my time and with my, with my finances and with my energy and with my treasure. No, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. No compartments. No separation. No church life and home life and work life and school life and a different person in all of them. No. God, it's all yours. It's all yours. And so as we kind of reflect on this word today and, and you think about it, man, think about what Jesus did for you. Don't give in to the lie that you have nothing to offer. Blow up that myth that you have nothing to do in the kingdom of God. Remember, when you were broken, when your life was shattered, Jesus called you and carried you to the table because you couldn't get there yourself. And he gave you a purpose. Listen to this song before we close. No.
that you today? You feel broken. Life has just done a number on you. And it's time today to let Jesus carry you to the table. Into a relationship with Jesus. To be your life just forever turned upside down, forever changed because of God's grace for you. Because Jesus came down from heaven. He lived a life just like you and me, a sinless life. And he went to the cross. He was beaten, he was whipped. His body was broken. He was nailed to a cross and he was hung there until he died. All for you. He was broken so you could be made whole. Amen. So if you're here today, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes, everybody, if that's you today and you're ready for Jesus to carry you in to his presence, to carry you to the table. If that's you and you want to give your heart and your life to Christ today, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Give you a moment to think because I know this is this is a moment of tension. It's a moment of decision. Some of you, it's time. If you're online with us today, hey, right there in your living room, in your car, wherever you're watching, if that's you, raise your hand. Just as a physical sign, God, hey, I'm I'm here. And guess what? He notices you. He sees you. Just like David said, where is he? Jesus is saying that about you today. Where are you? He wants to find you. He wants to be there with you. Amen. If you, if that's you today and you're, you're wanting to give your heart and your life to Christ, I'm just going to pray a prayer. I want to ask you guys to repeat it after me, and we're all going to do this together. So those of you that are following Jesus and those of you that are praying this prayer for the first time, let's all say this together. Let's say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me and that you rose again. I put my trust in you. I believe. God, I'm a sinner. And I need you. And so forgive me. Help me to live the rest of my life my life for you. Help me to surrender all. And God, I trust in what your word says that now. Because I'm giving my life to you, I'm a new creation. Amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand today. Amen. And then lastly, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to pray a closing prayer. Um, if it's you today that you're like, Joe, I've been fighting those, 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 I don't know how else to say it, but like Mephibosheth said, those dead dog thoughts. And I need to to rest in my new identity and purpose in Christ. If that's you, as I pray this closing prayer of our message, just raise your hand and, and let's pray together. God, we just lay our thoughts, our identity, our purpose at your feet today. And we just ask you speak into our life those things that you say we are. And that we can trust you and believe it and walk in it and live as more than a conqueror. And so we trust you today. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you that we have a seat at the table. And and God, help us to follow you with our whole life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.